Well, if you could um, turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, the book of Titus. I want to look this evening at a, at a major theme in the book of uh, Titus. I'll introduce the theme later, but our reading for this evening is Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 4 to 9. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 9. It's the word of our Father. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become ears according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to all of us this evening. We pray that you would grow us in our love for you, and our love for each other, and our love for your word. We pray that you would grow us in our humility, and we pray that you would grow us in our fruitfulness. We pray that you would make us doers of good, and only, not only doers of good, but lovers of good, that we would love doing good, that we would be zealous for good works, um, that it would be our greatest joy to, to love you and loving our neighbours. And may we do this as we see your love for us in your word, as it shows to us the Lord Jesus and his death for our sin. May we all believe that gospel and may we zealously do good because of it. Help us now. May everything we do tonight be an expression of love for you and from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've heard of um, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin lived in the uh, 1700s and he's a really, really interesting guy. Um, Benjamin Franklin, I think it's fair to say, um, was interesting for at least one reason, and that is this. He was obsessed with doing good. Here's a list of just some of the good that Benjamin Franklin did during his life. His life. He invented swim fins, the lightning rod, bifocal glasses. He discovered ways to keep streets cleaner and deal with waste management. He founded and co-founded, listen to this, America's first circulating library, America's first mutual insurance company, America's first public hospital, 
Um, some people here will like this one. America's first volunteer fire department. Um, he suggested, some people won't like this one, the concept of daylight savings. And the list goes on. Obviously, one thing I missed is that he also helped found the United States of America. Benjamin Franklin was obsessed with doing good. And that brings us to the book of Titus. There's a sense in which Paul in the book of Titus is just like Benjamin Franklin. And this is why. Titus is Paul's second shortest letter. The only letter that Paul wrote that's shorter than Titus is Philemon. Titus is Paul's second shortest letter. Yet, Paul talks more about good works in Titus than in any other letter. And that's total. That's not per capita. That's total. He talks more about good works in Titus than he does in any other letter. So we might say that Paul and Titus is, is somewhat like Benjamin Franklin. He's obsessed with doing good. He's obsessed with, with good works. Paul loves good works. He loves doing good to his neighbor. And he loves it when others love good and love doing good to their neighbors. But Paul disagrees with Benjamin Franklin on where those works come from where those good works come from. And we'll see why later, but what I want to do this evening is just answer two questions. Firstly, what are good works? Is starting a volunteer fire brigade a good work? What does the Bible mean when it talks about good works? And secondly, where do those good works come from? What's their source? Why do I say Paul agrees with Benjamin Franklin about good works, but disagrees about where they come from? So that's what we'll be looking at this evening. Firstly, what are good works? I think there's two things you can say about good works. Firstly, good works come from a place of love. You might remember 1 Corinthians 13. You hear it at every wedding. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about good works. But he talks about good works that are done without love. Do you remember that? He says, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned. Now just think with me about that as a good work. Imagine selling your house, putting it on trade, selling your car, putting it on Facebook Marketplace, selling your clothing, selling everything that you own, and giving the money to the poor. It's a good work, isn't it? That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. But he's talking about someone who does it without love. So they sell their house, they sell their car, they sell their clothing, they sell everything, they give the money to the poor, but they do it without love in their hearts. They do it for another reason. We don't know the other reason, maybe to gain esteem in the sight of men, maybe to gain salvation from the Father. Whatever the reason, the reason isn't love. Um, and what does Paul say about it? If someone does that good work without love, he doesn't say, well, it's not ideal, but it's okay. No, he says, if I do that, 
I deliver up my body to be burned. I give away everything that I have. But if I do it without love, I gain nothing. Zilch. Good works come from a place of love. And I think you see something at least related in Titus. In Titus 1, Paul says something wonderful about um, elders in terms of qualifications for elders. He doesn't mention this in, in 1 Timothy 3, where he talks about qualifications for elders there, but he does talk about it in Titus. And he says this, he says, in order for a man to be an elder, he has to be a lover of good. A lover of good. Think about that for a moment. How do you feel about the things that you love? Your favorite food, your favorite hobby, your spouse, your children. There's warmth, there's affection, there's hunger, there's desire. That's how you feel about the things that you love. And Paul says an elder, a man, in order to be an elder, has to feel that way about good. It's not enough for him to know what is good. He needs to feel a certain way about good. And you see a similar thing with regards to the church. Paul says in Titus 2 that Jesus gave himself, listen to this, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself for people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Think about it. You ask Jesus, what did you give yourself on that cross for? Part of his answer is so that you might be zealous for good works. How do you feel about the things that you're zealous for? Earnest, sincere, wholehearted. Jesus gave himself on the cross to make us feel like that toward good works. That's the first thing to say about good works. They come from a place of love. Let me just ask a question here. Do you have a hunger for good works? Do you have this taste for doing good? Have you tasted the joy of doing good? You know what's interesting? There's a sense in which both legalists and antinomians, that just means anti-lawism, have exactly the same answer to that question. How do you feel about doing good? Antinomians don't love doing good, so they say, well, I'm not going to bother them. Legalists, they don't love doing good, and so they do it begrudgingly. They feel exactly the same way about doing good. And so I ask the question, do you love doing good? If you don't, you have a problem, because you were made to do good. Adam was made to do good, and you were redeemed by Jesus, the second Adam, to do good. He came and died for your sin, so that you might be zealous for good works, so that you might love doing good. So that's the first thing to say about good works. They come from a place of love. The second thing to say about good works is this. They not only come from a place of love, they're done for a person in love. There's a chapter in Proverbs, which is a beloved chapter for many, and rightly beloved because it is a beautiful chapter, Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, if you remember, describes a woman who fears the Lord. So here's this woman. She's humble before the Lord. 
She trembles at the Lord's word. She loves the Lord. And she hates offending him. She fears the Lord. But do you remember the description that Proverbs 31 gives of that woman who feels that way about the Lord, who fears the Lord? It's very counterintuitive. Very counterintuitive. Most people, I think, when they think of a woman who fears the Lord, probably picture in their minds someone who is very strict, very cold, not practically minded, but spiritually minded. They get up early. They have really, really long quiet times. They fast a lot, so they're all gaunt. Probably picture a sort of a nun in the 16th century, right? Burlap clothing and skinny because she's been fasting so much. But the really interesting thing is that's not at all the picture painted in Proverbs 31. We might say, in some ways, the woman in Proverbs 31 sounds like a female Benjamin Franklin. Listen to this. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. It's a busy woman. Blessing those around her. And so what do those around her do? Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And again, you see something similar in Titus. In Titus 2, Paul says this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. It's a similar thing to the theme in Proverbs 31. When a younger woman is taught what is good, what happens? It benefits her husband, her home, and her children. Or in Titus 3, you see a similar theme come through. Um, and this is a little bit more controversial, perhaps, but Paul says this. Verse 1 of Titus 3, remind them to be submissive. He's speaking about the church. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul is talking there about pagan rulers and pagan society. So good works done by believers not only benefit their families, their husbands, their, their home, their children, but also benefit the societies in which they live. That's the second element of good works. They not only come from a place of love, they're done for a person in love, for someone else, for someone else's benefit. And again, let me ask a question. Is this how you think of good works? Do you think of good works in this wonderfully practical, earthy, public way, benefiting your family, benefiting your society. I think sometimes when we think about good works and that the fear of the Lord leading to good works, our thinking is all twisted. We think about things we do in private, like the quiet time. We don't think about buying a field 
and rising up early, not to have a quiet time, but to provide food. We don't think of things we might do in public in society. We don't think of, as Franklin did, starting a volunteer fire brigade. But starting a volunteer fire brigade with love in your heart for your neighbor is far more of a good work than a quiet time done without love. That brings us to a second question, doesn't it? Where do these good works come from? These good works that come from a place of love, done for a person in love, what's their source? How do you produce them? And this is, as I said in the beginning, where Franklin and Paul part ways for the very simple reason that Benjamin Franklin wasn't a Christian. Now, you do see that in his life, that he wasn't a Christian. He's a terrible husband. He was. But you also see it in his words. Listen to this. This is Benjamin Franklin speaking. That from such faith alone, salvation may be expected appears to me to be neither a Christian doctrine nor a reasonable one. Completely denied. The gospel, salvation by faith alone. So Franklin wasn't a Christian. And although Paul, in a sense, agreed with him on doing good works and he loved doing good, he disagreed with Benjamin Franklin about where those good works come from. And you see that in our reading for this evening. Paul lays out in the clearest terms, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He lays out in the clearest terms, in another way, to say it another way, the absolute non-necessity of good works for salvation. Look with me at verses 4 and 7. 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the gospel. And that's the exact gospel Benjamin Franklin said appeared to be neither Christian nor reasonable. The gospel that from faith alone, apart from works, salvation is to be expected. It's the works-free gospel. But why is Paul talking about the works-free gospel? How does this relate to good works? What does this have to do with good works? Salvation apart from works What does that have to do with good works? Why is Paul talking about it? Why is Paul reminding Titus, the pastor at Crete, of this gospel? What's the end here? What's the purpose here? Why is Paul relaying the gospel to Titus? The answer comes in the very next sentence. Look with me at verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. The gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Think about that language. Careful to devote themselves to good works. Careful means to be intent on something. And devote means to strive. So Paul is talking about being intent on striving for good works. These works of love. 
Works done from a place of love for a person in love. And how does he see believers getting there? To the point of being careful to devote themselves to good works. The answer is what? Titus insisting on the works free gospel. And that's so interesting, isn't it? Many people, including many pastors, think that if you want people to be careful to devote themselves to good works, you do the exact opposite. They say, your salvation depends on works. We want people to be careful to devote themselves to good works. We need to tell people their salvation depends on their doing good works. You say to people, if you want them to be careful to devote themselves to good works, if you don't work, you might not be saved. So you better work. It's not what Paul says here. Paul doesn't make people careful to devote themselves to works by insisting that their eventual glorification depends on them. He makes people careful to devote themselves to good works by insisting their justification isn't. It's the exact inverse. It's the exact opposite. And that's how you get good works. It's the repentance and faith in the gospel. And that's the only way. You know, the irony with people who make salvation dependent on works is they never have the works the Bible talks about. They don't. They might have works, quiet times, church attendance, but they won't have works of love. And you see that in Paul's letter to the Galatians, right? That's not what Paul says to the Galatians, who would left the works-free gospel behind. Hey, you guys are nailing the Christian life. You're nailing it on the works front. You're doing a great job of loving each other. Just don't get confused about where those works belong in terms of salvation. Just make sure that you understand that none of those works justify you. But like I say, you guys are doing a great job. Well done. No. He has to say to the same church that had fallen into works righteousness, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You don't produce works by making salvation dependent on And works are not necessary for salvation. Instead, you can say the opposite. Salvation is necessary for good works. Salvation is necessary for good works. So may we give ourselves to good works this coming year. May we not only do good for our neighbors, our families, our church, our communities, but may we love doing them good. As we hear the wonderful gospel that none of what we do saves us. And it's everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. Will you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are saved apart from our works and that Our works aren't necessary for salvation. Instead, salvation is necessary for our works, to produce works in us. So may you produce good works in us. May we love doing good and devote ourselves to to doing good, to being busy serving you, because we love you, because we fear you, and because you've saved us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.